Let us pray. Holy God, clothe us in your word this day, that your Holy Spirit may show us your glory, and that others, through that Spirit, may see your glory. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Today's Gospel reading is from the Gospel according to Matthew, the sixth chapter, verses 24 through 34. Hear these words of Jesus. No one can serve two masters, for a slave will either hate the one and love the other, or be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth. Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And can any of you by worrying add a single hour to your span of life? And why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin, yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not clothed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? Therefore do not worry, saying, what will we eat? Or what will we drink? Or what will we wear? For it is the Gentiles who strive for all these things. And indeed, your heavenly Father knows you need all these things. But strive first for the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things will be given to you as well. So do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will bring worries of its own. Today's trouble is enough for today. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. What keeps you up at night? If I were to ask you that question, what would your answer be? Now, of course, the answer depends on your own context. If you're a pastor, it's as straightforward as I'm worried no one will show up on Sunday morning. If you're a parent, it might be I'm worried my child won't be able to keep up. If you're a student, I'm worried whether my grades are good enough to get into the college I want. And if you've just graduated, I'm worried I won't find a good job. If you're in a career defined by high achievement, I'm worried I won't be as successful as my colleagues. If you live paycheck to paycheck, or if you have no paycheck, I'm worried I won't be able to pay my bills. Some of these are legitimate, some less so. There is the broad-level cultural anxiety that one writer described as a continual low-level hum. 
and another called the new bass line in the symphony of life. That resonates. Worry about mass shootings, worry about our nation's divisiveness, worry about climate change. The 24-7 news cycle reminds us of everything that is wrong in the world and everything that could possibly go wrong. It's also been documented by the World Health Organization that rates of anxiety in rich countries are higher than in poorer ones. In a 2016 essay, David Brooks wrote about our culture's epidemic of worry and the different kinds that we experience. The good kind that warns you about legitimate dangers. Did I forget to close the garage door and leave my house vulnerable to theft? And the bad kind that spirals into dark and self-destructive thoughts where worry cycles possible bad futures around in your head and pretty soon you are seeing the world through a dirty windshield. Jesus told his disciples, do not worry. Impractical? It's not a command performance. You can't just hear someone tell you, don't worry your pretty little head, it will all be fine. And expect it to magically be that way. Impossible? It seems like humans are wired for worry. It's in our DNA. Impractical, impossible, or gospel. You decide. It was a day in Galilee during the time of Jesus' ministry, and by this point in Matthew's story world, Jesus was famous, teaching, healing, and proclaiming the good news of God's reign come near. Crowds of people followed him, and even more closely on his heels were the disciples that he himself had called out of their family businesses, out of their normal lives, to follow him wherever he went, which was a lot of places, through Galilee, the Decapolis, Jerusalem, Judea, and even beyond the Jordan. To be a disciple meant you would live a life of permanent transition because you followed Jesus who was on the move. Life with Jesus would be anything but routine, anything but predictable, anything but conventional in the usual sense of the word. But one day when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up the mountain. He sat down, joined by his new disciples, and he began to teach with words that we know as the Sermon on the Mount. He began to teach them what they would need to know if they were going to be in mission with him. He taught his new disciples about who would be blessed in God's economy, the poor in spirit, the mourners, the meek, the hungry, the merciful, the pure in heart, the peacemakers, the persecuted. He told his disciples that their relationship with society would be precarious that the values of God's kingdom would bump up against the values of the world as they knew it. He told them what their actions and their relationships needed to look like and what their words needed to sound like. He told them to practice charity, 
to pray and to fast. And then he told them not to focus on material wealth, for it makes a poor master. In the first century worldview of limited goods, if you get more, I get less. So you can't serve both God and wealth at the same time. And then he told them, do not worry. Do not worry about your life, what you'll eat or drink, or about your body or what you'll wear. Do not worry, O oh, you of little faith. Impractical, impossible, or gospel. In that scene on the mountain, Jesus told his disciples all of this to get them ready for the mission that he would send them on. He told them all of this before they would eventually find themselves frightened on a boat in a terrible windstorm or sitting on a hillside with thousands of people and only a few loaves of bread and a couple of fish to feed them all. He addressed what Peter Rhea Jones calls pre-mission jitters. You know the doubts that creep in when you're asked to do something that you feel ill-equipped to do how many Presbyterians break out in a cold sweat when asked to pray on the spot? Or teach a children's Sunday school class? Or become a faith partner of a youth in the commissioning class? Or actually talk to the folks who come here to get food or a hot meal? You know the doubts that creep in when you see the world around you change, when religious norms aren't what they used to be, when the church is in transition or multiple transitions, and you don't know what that means for you. It's the time of year when my Facebook newsfeed is filled with pictures of summertime flowers from people's gardens. They're the kind of posts that bring happiness and lots of likes. One was filled with big pink hibiscuses described as a great surprise every August. Another was of happy dahlias and black-eyed Susans. Another showed stunning images of the beautiful and sacred geometry of dandelions. Up close, photographs of dandelion seed heads astonishing in their precision, an explosion of symmetry, intricacy, pattern, and orbital design. My mom's a flower gardener. She has been a longtime connoisseur of lilies. Every variety, every color and configuration, Asiatic lilies and oriental lilies and tiger lilies and day lilies and I actually learned the difference. Single lilies and double lilies, thousands of them in her garden in glorious display. Consider the lilies. To his disciples then and now, to disciples who are in perpetual transition because we follow Jesus who is on the move, Jesus says, consider the lilies. Look at the flowers that rise up out of the ground and gloriously unfurl their God-given petals. Have you ever known a birder? I know there's at least one in this congregation this morning. They pay attention to the details. 
the markings, the habitat, the calls. Look at the birds, Jesus said. Look at the birds and how God provides for them. Look at God's handiwork. Look to them to see what it means to trust the God who created this, the God who created us. Jesus points to the birds and the lilies as examples because they unselfconsciously participate in the life of God, pouring forth through all creation, writes Tom McGrath. But for us, he says, undue worry blocks that participation, which is why we humans often feel distant and disconnected from God. Fear closes down our hearts, Worry puts up a barricade to grace. The birds and the lilies and all of nature have lessons to teach us about being unobstructed channels for the flow of God's grace. Impractical, impossible, or gospel. Can any of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your span of life? Jesus asked this of those who have means and of those who are living on the edge. His audience then and now includes both. And when he asks that question, he asks what Alice McKenzie calls an impossible question that doesn't resolve the conflicts of life, but heightens them and pushes us to question the assumptions of the world that we live in. Look at the birds. Consider the lilies. Do not worry. The focus isn't a command to be obeyed as if one can simply will oneself to refrain from worry and anxiety. This is a text about grace a reorientation of perspective, a reassurance about God's trustworthiness and provision. It's about seeing the world in a fundamentally new and different way, says Charles Talbert, like those magnified images of dandelion seed heads and flower stamens and velvety petals. They are windows into God's world Verbal icons through which we may see into God's will, and therefore to trust God. To be clear, Jesus does not say that working to meet your needs doesn't matter. He never told the farmer to stop planting and harvesting. And elsewhere in the Gospels, he tells his disciples, feed those who are hungry, care for those who are sick, and provide for the needs of others. For that's who Jesus is, always about meeting the real needs of the people that he encounters. So if we are not to worry, then what is Jesus' alternative? Bobby McFerrin's hit song says, don't worry, be happy. Okay, I hear you playing it in your heads already. And much as I love that song, it feels a little simplistic. A little naive. David Brooks' op-ed that I referenced earlier suggested the answer to worry is direct action, which takes us out of ourselves and into the concerns of others because worry like drama is all about the self. 
This certainly gives us more agency than to simply be happy. But what Jesus said takes that direct action all the way to its ultimate conclusion for his disciples, which is to seek God's kingdom above all else. Make the choice for God first. Strive for the kingdom that is God's dynamic and saving activity through past, present, and future. It is both ethical and transcendent, oriented toward justice and mercy. When Jesus said, strive first for the kingdom of God, he's talking about us joining God's mission already at work in the world. Do justice, love kindness, and walk humbly with your God. As Jason Biasi put it, if only we crowd out our own worries, can we begin to be the answer to be the prayers of others? The kingdom of God, says Clarence Jordan, is the environment that God intends for each one of us. It is the framework of God's will. People in it are like birds in the sky and lilies of the field. They are living in harmony with God's design. McGrath tells the story of the care facility where his father recuperated from surgery, a place that he says could have been dreary because it was filled with people in difficult straits. But it had an aviary where patients of every condition could watch dozens of brightly colored birds. McGrath noticed the faces of patients as they watched them. They became like little children, faces softened with delight in some mysterious way, touched by the revelation of God. Jesus said, don't worry about your life, O you of little faith. Look at the birds and how God feeds them. Look at the flowers, they grow without toiling or spinning. If God does that for them, how much more will God do for you? Instead, strive for the kingdom of God, and all these things will be given to you as well. Impractical, impossible, or gospel? You decide. Amen.